Uh, it's great to be with you. Love coming here. Always feel at home and welcome. Thanks for that. And uh, a funny thing, because I was asked to speak here and asked to speak in some other church like later on. I sat down at home and I thought, what do you want me to say, Lord? And the Lord gave me everything to say to this other church and nothing to say here. And then Brian contacted me and he said, we're doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Would you mind taking Matthew chapter 7? I said, that explains it. Didn't want to go planning something else and God had this in mind. And then I looked at Matthew chapter 7 and thought, now I know what God wants to say to these people. Okay, so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount to continue the series you've been enjoying for the last few weeks. So Lord, we pray you'll come and speak to us today, not just then, but now. Amen. So here we go. I'm going to read this from the um, Passion Translation of the Bible. Not doing so good with the words here. Okay, I've got this. Come on. Um, There's a problem when you read the words of Jesus in the Bible. Because when Jesus spoke, what he said was surprising. Now, the first time you read the Bible, that's great. It's surprising. But the second and the third time you think, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And so it doesn't surprise you. And one way you can make it surprise you is to read it in a translation you don't usually read it in. The other way is just to listen, and then you realize, oh, I thought I knew what it was, but it is surprising. So I'm going to read you this in the Passion Translation. I am. There I am. So Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12. So these are the words of Jesus, and if if you don't remember anything I say today, if you remember something Jesus said, that's good. Okay. Refuse to be a critic, full of bias towards others, and judgment will not be passed on you. Refuse to be a critic. How about that? Okay? So some golden opportunities to be a critic are presented to you, and you need to make sure you miss those opportunities. Someone says to you, what do you think of so-and-so? Okay. Would you like a cup of tea? There's, There's always a way out. Okay. For you'll be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. The measurement you use on them will be used on you. This is good. You're being, whoops, why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and yet fail to notice the glaring flaws in your own? How could you say to your friend, Let me show you where you're going wrong when you're guilty of even more. You're being hypercritical and a hypocrite. First, acknowledge your own blind spots and deal with them. And then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. Who would hang earrings on a dog's ear or throw pearls in front of wild pigs? They'd only trample them under their feet and then turn around and tear you to pieces. Ask, and the gift is yours. Seek, and you'll discover. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For every persistent one will get what he or she asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he or she longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently 
will one day find an open door. Don't let me down. Do you know of any parent who would give his hungry child, who asked for food, a plate of rocks instead? Or when asked for a piece of fish, what parent would offer his child a snake instead? If you, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your Heavenly Father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? In everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you. For that is the essence of the teaching of the law and the prophets. Yes. Okay. It's a hedgehog. Have you ever tried to slap a hedgehog around and teach it a lesson? You stupid hedgehog. Because if you do that, you will discover, this is hurting me more than it's hurting you. Okay? And that's some of what Jesus has been saying to us in what we've just read there. He says, treat others the way you'd like them to treat you. Ow! 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 It's me! There's a passage in the Old Testament which says what should happen to someone who deliberately hurts someone else. If you poke their eye out, the punishment for that is you get your eye poked out. Okay? If you break their leg, your leg gets broken. If you get caught. Okay? But Jesus took that a little bit further. And you know, even if you don't get caught, you're doing this to yourself. It's yourself you're doing it to. So when I want to poke someone's eye out and say, Ooh, it's me. It's, it's me. It's my eye going to get poked out. I think I'll go easy on the eye poking. Okay? So treat others the way you'd like to be treated. If you go around criticizing others, guess who really suffers? You go around criticizing people. They might hear that you said it about them. They might not. But guess what? You've been wearing a coat of criticism and it soaks into your body like water. Who gets the grumpy face? You do. I do. What we do to other people, we do to ourselves. Jesus said, whatever you want to treat others, the way you judge others is the way you'll be judged. I'm doing it to me. I'm not doing it to you. If you're generous, you're generous for yourself. If you're mean, you're mean for yourself. Wow. It's got this bounce back ability thing. Ouch. Oh, come on. Come on. Okay. Too trigger happy here. Fat finger syndrome. Okay. Jesus said, you look at this speck in someone else's eye and you say, oh, I can fix that for you. We look at other people. Now, you know, I'm like this. We're all like this. We're critical of others. We can see other people's faults. So easy to see other people's faults, isn't it? Don't you think? And they're so stupid, they can't see it. Isn't it great that you and I aren't like that? Okay? So you see someone else's faults, Jesus says, and you say, oh, you got this fault. But you know what? We see other people through our own brokenness. 
We see not what's there, but we see what's there. Sometimes I've told my wife to stop shouting at me. You know what? She wasn't shouting at me. It's me. Okay? When I have a problem with someone, sometimes it's because, well, I'm a certain way. And they come across to me that way because they're coming across to me. And the problem here is me. So we see other people the way we are. I have a friend that I've met through work. He got married. Well, that's great, isn't it? Happy ever after. But there was a problem. His wife turned out to be mad. But he got a divorce, and so that's good. And happily, he met somebody else. You know, it's great. You can have a second chance in life. And so he married her. And, I mean, that was great for a while. But guess what? She turned out to be mad, too. Now, that's unfortunate. Once is a problem, but twice is really unfortunate. So they got divorced. And time went on. And happy days, he met someone else. And he got married to her. Now, I wish I could say it worked out well, but actually, guess what? It turned out she was mad too. So he got divorced a third time. So he'd had three divorces at the time he told this story to us and his colleagues at the uh, coffee table. All quite seriously, you know. And um, one of our colleagues, who's not a psychologist or a counsellor, began to think, well, there's a bit of a pattern here. Real brainy guy, this. Real brainy guy. That, you know, the other person is the person with the problem. And that's the way we see life, and that's the way we cope with life, because it's very hard to think that I might have a problem. That does not feel good. Okay. But Jesus says, you know, maybe, just maybe, maybe there's a problem with the way you see things, and maybe it's to do with you or with me. Maybe it's not all them. Sometimes we're surprised that God likes other people. But the scripture says, you know, at the end, judgment will come and everybody's praise will come from God. We think, what God? Are you pleased with all them? I mean, apart from me and one or two others, like, they're all rubbish. And I'm not so sure about those one or two others. Like, apart from me, they're all doing it wrong. And Jesus says, maybe, maybe the way you see things isn't just the way things are. And sometimes when you're on an inside track, you realize there's more to a situation than what at first appears. And especially when it's you yourself, you realize, mm, if they knew how difficult this was for me, maybe they wouldn't be so quick to judge me. So Jesus just cautions us about this, not being quick to judge. Now, some of you might know and some of you might not know some of Ireland's rugby icons. And I want to introduce you, if you've never met before, this man, Ronan O'Gara. Now, the man's an icon. And I don't know if I give to, need to give you a lesson on who this lady is. That's Queen Elizabeth II of England. Okay. That's a famous picture because that was a famous thing. You know what's special about that picture? Maybe you know, maybe you don't. But there's Ronan and some of other legends meeting the Queen herself. And do you notice that Ronan has his hands in his pockets? This became a big news item. Okay? And he got a special nickname which lasted a month or two. He was called Pockets O'Gara. Okay? So there's Pockets O'Gara meeting the Queen and people wondering, did he do it on purpose? Is he just a thicko? Does he not know how to behave when you meet royalty? 
So this was a big thing. He had his hands in his pockets. And apparently, I've never met the Queen, but apparently that's not good when you meet the Queen. You should have your hands outside the pockets. Okay? Just normal hands. Now, at the same time this was happening, something was going on in our family that I want to tell you about. We have a daughter called Amy, as I was telling another Amy here this morning. And our Amy went off to college in Scotland and spent a few years at college and then got a job in publishing and then got another job that she didn't like that much and then bought a flat which seemed like a good idea at the time and then then it got into negative equity and she wanted to make a move. She wanted to move to Australia for six months and go on a program with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. This was an ambition that arose in her mind. She says, I'd love to do that because right now, I'm not liking my job. And I've never done this. When I was a student, I didn't do it. Now's my time. Now's my chance. But not so easy when you have a flat that's a negative equity and you can't really sell it or sell it at a big loss. And then you're kind of stuck. But she put it up for sale anyway to try and sell it at a loss. And a few people came to look at it, but no one wanted to buy it. And that's a problem. So now she's stuck. Were you ever stuck somewhere you didn't want to be? You wanted something else, but you've got this. Well, that was her. And there she was, stuck. Ah. This in her heart, which was a good thing to do, but not able to move because she's stuck. And she'd have to stay in every Sunday afternoon because that was viewing time. That's how they do it over there. And every Tuesday evening she'd stay in. And for the first couple of weeks... Another one would come and look, and then for loads of weeks, no one would come at all. So that's depressing too. There you are, sitting in your flat that you don't want, trying to sell it to people who aren't coming, and they're not even looking. So we like to pray. So I went over to see her. And uh, usually, you know, we'd go every couple of months. So I took the plane over one weekend and spent some time with her. And, um, well, her flat was in Portobello, which is near the sea. And we went down to Portobello, and of course, we were waiting for God to do something, and we said, I got this idea as we were walking along the beach. I said, let's draw a line in the sand. Okay? So, using the tools that I always carry with me, I drew a line in the sand, and we said, let's hold hands, and let's pray, and let's ask God to do something, because it had been a long time. We were waiting and praying. In fact, when I went off on holidays uh, that year, got this distressed kind of message from her when I was on holidays about how tough it was. And I thought, my poor girl, her heart is low. So there I was on holidays, like fasting on a Thursday on holidays. You know, you don't go on holidays to fast, but, you know, when you have kids. So there I was, fasting and praying once a week for her. And then I went to see her, and we went down to the beach, and we said, let's hold hands, let's cross this line and ask God to do something. So we said, Lord, we've done all we can. We're asking you to do something And we're crossing this line together to let you know that we just want something different on the other side of this line. And we crossed the line. And we went home and we ate something. I got on the plane and came home. And next week we're talking on the phone. And of course there was nothing. And the week after that there was nothing. And the week after that there was nothing. And the week after that there was nothing. So much for our big idea. Praying. Crossing the line. Doing this prophetic act of... We believe you, Lord. So 
weeks pass. And then her mum went over to see her. Spent the weekend. Now, the mum's better at praying than I am because she fights like a she-bear for her kids because that's a mum thing, you know? So I thought, well, this is good, okay? So her mum's going to pray with her. Now we're going to see some results. So her mum went to see her and spent a weekend with her. And, of course, they prayed together. And then the mum came home. And the next week, we had a phone call with her. And you've guessed it, like, nothing. And the next week, nothing. And the next week, nothing. And the year's gone. That was July. The year's gone on to August, September, October. And this project she was going to in, in Australia was going to start at the beginning of February. And if she was going to sell this flat, she had to sell it at the start of December. Or it just wasn't going to work. So we knelt down beside our bed. Um, was it uh, just the first Monday in December? It would be phone or the next night. And um, we knelt down and said, Lord, we've done all you can. Will you do something? And the next day, nobody came to see our flat. But someone who'd seen it back earlier in the year contacted her solicitor and says, they want to buy your flat. We thought, oh, hallelujah. Someone's going to buy the flat. The door has opened at last. It's been a slow train coming. But this door, it has opened at last. So... There we were, after waiting for far too long for God to do something, and who was God like? Pockets O'Gara. <laughs> now, I would be nearly afraid to say that, except that's what it says in the Bible. Psalm 74, you can read it at your own time. There's David praying the prayer that so many people pray and saying, How long is it going to take you, Lord, to answer my prayers? Take your hands out of your pockets and do something. They mightn't call them pockets in your translation. They might call them, remove thy hand from the fold of thy garments. Okay? Or take thy hand out of thy bosom. In other words, take your hands out of your pockets. Please, God, don't be like pockets, O'Gara. Please take your hand out of your pockets and do something. And so we came across that verse early in the year, and so we were praying this. God, would you take your hand out of your pockets? We thought if David got away with it, we can get away with it. Because God's able for it if we're a little bit direct with him in our prayers. He can handle it. And he likes to know what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And we can say it to him. Lord, seems to me like you have your hands in your pockets. Take your hands out of your pockets. So we asked God to take his hands out of his pockets. And after that long time, he did. Why does it take God so long to answer our prayers? Well, for one thing, I suppose he wants to know and we need to know, do we really want this thing we're asking for? Or is it just a a passing thought? And over a period of time, you get to know what you really want. Because you won't keep asking if you don't really want it. Another reason could be that as we ask, as we stretch out towards some particular thing we want, in that stretching out, we are changed and made ready for it. Now, we think we're ready for it at the start. Like, we always think we're ready. And when we are ready, we don't even realize now we are ready. But by stretching out, God changes us. Prayer changes us. It might also be a thing that as we're praying and asking God to do something, he might ask us to do something. So we say, God, I'd like you to do something for me. He says, yeah, right. Well, I'd like you to do something for me. 
Or he'd like you to ring your ma and say, thanks for being my ma. I say, well, God, that's got nothing got to do with it. I was praying for a new car. Ma doesn't have new cars. But God might be thinking like this. If you do what I ask you to do, well, then I might do what you ask me to do. How about that? It is just a thing. Sometimes we think it works like this. I pray God answers. But more often it happens like this. I pray God might say something. And I respond. And God might answer. You see, we are involved somehow, either mysteriously or directly, in the answers to our own prayers. We become something different as we pray. And maybe God has his own reasons, and I've got it all wrong. But whatever the situation is, it can take time for God to answer our prayers. And the question is, what will we do during that time? Will we keep praying or will we just say, nah, lost cause. So look, nothing's happening. And hands in the air, I often get it wrong. I, we have a new pastor in our church. I passed the baton to him last May and he's doing a great job. But um, a few years ago, he started a home group in his house. He said, I think God wants me to start a home group. And I said, go for it, Alan. And he went for it and, ah, like one or two came, but it wasn't getting much traction. You know, like not much success. And he went on for a few weeks at it and, after a while, I said, to him, look, if it's not working, like, just leave it. He said, but like, God put it on my heart. And so he kept going, and you know what? They filled his living room, and it wasn't a big living room, but they were crushed in there. And that might be the reason why God eventually answered his prayer for a new home of his own, because they were renting a house with a rat that was rather small. And now he's got another house, as well as a new job being the pastor. So you just don't know what's connected to what. So if you're working with an expert, and God's an expert, and you say, I'd like this, and he says, and would you do that? Don't say to him, what does that have to do with anything? Just do it. You do everything he tells you to do, and if you like, that'll show him up as the one who still needs to do something, if I may use that, you know, cheeky language. So we do everything God tells us to do. God is good. God is good good. And in that passage we read where Jesus was speaking, he said, look, I mean, you're good too, he says. If your kids ask you for, like, soup, you won't give them, like, poison or engine oil or something. Like, you won't do that. You'll give good stuff. Okay? And uh, the answer to your prayer when it comes might look a bit different from what you'd imagined. But it will be the answer to your prayer. And probably the best answer is the way you are changed in between. So you think, oh God, it's this journey with you was the main thing. The most famous prayer person I know is George Mueller of Bristol. Some of you might have read his story, some of you might not. He would have lived about 150 years ago. And he was a man who prayed. And when you hear about someone who's like good at praying, you think, oh, they're brilliant. They're just praying God answers. No! It was just as slow for him as for the rest of us. So he'd be out for his morning walk. And one morning he thought, you know, I'd love to build an orphanage for orphans. And he'd, he'd be out for his walk for 30 mornings in a row and he'd say this to the Lord. And after a while he'd think, yeah, I think, I think I'm on the right track here. I think God wants this. And then he'd see this field and he'd say, I'm going to pray God will give me that field. And he'd pray this like day after day after day. And he'd no money. And he'd pray day after day after day. And after 30 or 40 days he'd feel God was saying to him, yeah, yeah, it's coming. And he prayed and he got the field. And then he prayed for the money, and he'd no money. And the money came. Over time, slowly, slowly. So when you read his biography, it's like reading your own life. 
You're up in the morning, you pray for something, you look, you see nothing. You pray again the next day, you look, you see nothing. Nothing, and plenty of it. Okay? And there he goes again. And so the money all came in. He built the orphan houses. And then when it was near time for orphans, you know what he realized? He never prayed for the orphans. He had no one to put in it. Like there was loads of orphans, but he hadn't access to them. He had to pray for the orphans. And God gave him a thousand orphans. And uh, he put them there. And then he had no food to feed them, of course. And he had to pray for that too. And they were there. And they'd come down for breakfast one morning. They came down one morning. And he put them around the table. And he knew that there was no food. And they sat down and they gave thanks to God for the food. And the milkman, who didn't like George Mueller, was going past on his milk truck. And his milk truck broke down outside the orphan house. And he said, you'll have to take this. Was it the butcher or the milkman? There's a lot of stories. Says, here, you can take this. The devil sent it to you. And George Mueller said, well, the devil might 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 have brought it, but God sent it. So he took it and he fed the orphans. But his story is like my story and your story. There's some things you've been praying for for a long time. There's some things that you desire. And they might be long-term prayers. And as long as we're in this body, we will have prayers that are not fulfilled. Like we all think, we all think we're living in a state of just temporary dissatisfaction. We all think, oh, next week... I'll get the grass cut and, you know, I'll put away that stuff and then we think, then life will just be, will just roll along nicely. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or just when the term is over and, you know, the leaving starts over, then life will get back to normal. Listen, folks, life never gets back to normal. This is life, what you're living today. There are unanswered prayers and as soon as your present prayer is answered, and that prayer was answered, hallelujah, like all that year we were praying the prayer that occurs most often in the Bible, oh Lord, how long? How long must I ask you? And the following year, the door opened, and she went on her project in Australia. Yeah. And a few weeks later, she contacts us, she says, I think God's calling me back to go on staff with YWAM. Huh. And a few weeks later, she texts us from Papua New Guinea, and said, I think I'm falling in love with an American. And before that next year was over, she was married to the American, and she was on staff with YWAM, and her life was turned upside down, and Scotland was no more. It wasn't just a flat, it was her whole life was gone. We spent that year saying, Oh Lord, hold on, hold on. We went to a wedding, and we hardly knew anybody there. Our daughter's getting married in Australia, and whoo, what a whirlwind. But you know what made us ready for it? We'd spent a long time praying the year before saying, Lord, you're awful slow. You're awful slow. And then it all began to happen. And we were able for it because our hearts were bedded down in waiting and wanting and knowing what we wanted. So when it came, we were able to cope with it. If we hadn't had the year of slow prayers and long waiting, we mightn't have been able for the whirlwind that came afterwards. When Jesus talked about himself, he said, it's like, the master goes away and leaves the servants at home. And he'll be coming home sometime. You don't know if he's coming in the middle of the night or in the morning. And they're there waiting. And they're waiting a long time. And the servants might be faithful and do what he told them to do. Or they might get lazy and drunk and start fighting with each other. But he said, it'll be good for that servant when his master comes back and finds them serving. It will be good.
These are the words that come after a long wait. A long wait, you don't see your master doing stuff. In some ways, the longer the wait, the greater the blessing that's been stored up. And the more you honor God by asking him when you see nothing, nada, a zero at the rim kicked off, nothing. If you've been praying for something and you see nothing, God is honoring you with an opportunity to exhibit what's called faith. Elijah did this and he was just like us. He wanted rain and he prayed for rain and he said to someone, go and look. And the look said, there's nothing, blue sky, wall to wall, blue sky. This wasn't in Ireland. Okay. And he said, okay, let's pray again. He prayed again. Now go and look. Nothing, nothing and plenty of it. Pray, go again, pray again, go again, pray again, look again. He prayed seven times. Now, he could have stopped after six. Don't stop. Don't stop. What's in your heart, the prayers you have in your heart for yourself or for others or for your family or for your situation, there are things you desire, good things, godly things. God has put in your heart. And you say, I don't know why God isn't answering these things. Who said he's not answering these things? Will you hold will you hold your prayer until something happens? And you say, But how long? You're in good company when you say how long? More people in the Bible prayed that prayer than any other prayer. How long? Just keep going. Just keep praying. Be determined. So what's so special about that picture, of my daughter? I have that up at my desk at work and it's an iconic picture in our lives and our, our remembrance. But like nothing happened that day. We didn't get the answer the next Tuesday. So what's so good about it? Well, here's what's good about it. That's the day we determined that we would keep looking to God for the answer. So that is an iconic day. Although the answer didn't come that day. But the answer came. And had we not done that that day, God might not have done that on a later day. Okay? So you've got stuff in your life that you want God to do, and everyone knows their own pain, and everyone knows their own prayer, and what you want God to do. Something for yourself, something for someone else. And I want to give everybody an opportunity this morning of stepping across the line like I did. So I thought, I did did think of bringing sand. I mean, you know how cheeky I am in this church, and I'd get in trouble with the people who do the hoovering. But um, we've got a line here, not made of sand, And uh, we're going to give everyone that wants it, and maybe that's everybody, an opportunity to come in just a moment and take a step across this line and make a statement to God. God, I am continuing to hold before you my request in prayer. I don't see anything, and now I know that that's a compliment from you to me. Because... I mean, a child has to be a certain age before you tell them to wait, don't they? You know, a baby's hungry, you say, Ah, wait, so we're going out later and we'll get you something. That's no good. But as a little bit of maturity comes, you're able to, if you like, delay that gratification. You're able to understand that some things take time and they're better for taking time. Now, you're all kind of ages here and all kinds of situations in life, but... This is true for all of us. Desire is ubiquitous in the human heart. We have a desire for something. And something that's something that you can ask God for. You know it's a good thing. 
And um, I, want you to, I want you to have this opportunity to, uh, to do this. I'll ask Johnny just come first and just tell, say something to us, Johnny, about this as well. Um, I just hold it there. So it'll just be only be another minute. Um, but I just want to say, oh, thank you. If you, um, I've been reading um, the Gospels and the stories of Jesus and the life of Jesus since January. I've just been just systematically reading them. And one thing I've noticed is, what did Jesus notice? What caught his attention? Would you like to be noticed by Jesus? There he was in the crowds, and there were certain things that really got his attention. And you know what, it, what really captured his attention? It was irresistible, was faith. He just couldn't resist faith. It was the people who pursued him. It was the people who called out to him. They didn't care whether anybody else annoyed. They were so desperate. They just called out to him, the blind beggar, the people, man who was blind, you know, people were blind. And the, the woman, the woman, the Phoenician woman, who, who, she wasn't a Jewish woman, and she wasn't, um, and, she, and she was a woman. Two things against her. But she was desperate. Lord, Lord, my daughter, will you heal my daughter? He totally ignored her. Ignored her. And she, but she, she wasn't having it. She went after him again. And he said to her, finally, I mean, talk about being racist and insulting. Jesus, yep, Jesus. He said to her, why should I take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? You see, the Jewish people were the children and anybody who wasn't Jewish were the dogs. So why should I take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? And she still went after him. I mean, after being so insulted, so ignored, she still went after him. But even, even the dogs can eat the crumbs from under the table. And you know, there was something in that whole encounter that went, I could just somehow... She was going for it and he was saying come on come on come on keep coming keep coming show me your faith and then finally she she wasn't going to give up she had nothing to lose and he finally said to her woman your daughter is healed amazing and you know, this is what Jesus noticed. He noticed the people with faith. And I just want to just affirm what James has shared this morning. And you know, there is that place of waiting. I hate waiting. I'm the worst person standing in a queue. But waiting on God is waiting for his timing, waiting for him to move, waiting for him to work. And there's a beautiful verse in the Psalms. And it says, I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. Psalm 18. And finally, God heard my cry and came to my answer.
And there is something about this. The word that James brought out there this morning, my wife, is persistent. The one who persistently asks, who persistently seeks, who persistently knocks, will one day find the door open. We don't know when that door's going to open, but you know, there's just something about standing. And I'm just talking about waiting. That waiting is a position. Can I just ask you all to stand up right now? I know James is going to do a prophetic thing in a moment, but I just want you to do this. I want you to stand on the ground you're standing on. I want you to just roll your feet back and forth and feel that ground under you. Own that piece of ground, right? And I just want you to feel the strength in your feet as you stand there. And now I want you to feel that strength. Do you feel that strength? There's something about just standing firmly. And then just let that strength come up your legs. Feel your legs. Feel your, in your knees. Yeah, right. Bring it right up to your hips. Yeah. See, I can see some of you actually have just grown an inch or two as you did that. And feel that coming up your ribs. And feel that strength coming up into your shoulder. That's right. Get them shoulders back. And lift up your head. That's the position of standing. Owning the ground. And then say to yourself, I am a child of God. And it is my inheritance to come into the house and ask of my father. And I tell you, that's the position of waiting. And we stand in that position And you might move out of here and go off to do your things. But inside, stand in that position. God, I am waiting. I am waiting. And should I have to stand till kingdom come, I will wait. And I will wait. And I will wait. Waiting is active. It's not passive. It's not just, oh, well, sure, we'll just wait around and see what happens. No, 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 no. I might be out there washing dishes and I might be cleaning up and I might be doing my job, but inside I'm standing and I'm, Lord, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And that's prayer. Not just sitting on your seat and talking about, it's carrying that spirit within you. God, I am going to wait and I am going to keep looking until you lean down and you answer this prayer. So let's take that persistency and move with it and just you, honestly I just think it's he's, he notices he is noticing that and he finds that irresistible when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth it's not about being good it's not about being perfect it's not about that it's about believing him believing him and that's a choice yeah, wait here with me. Now, here's how we're going to do this. If we're going to have some background music on, that'd be nice. Now, you don't have to tell us what you're praying for. We don't need to know. But we agree with your prayer. We will stand with you. And I'm going to invite you all in just a moment to come up and then deliberately step across this line and say, today is the day when I'm deciding, Lord, I'm committing that I am going to persist in my determination. I'm going to persist in my prayer. I'm going to hold on for that day. And if there's someone here with you that you want to do this together, like I did with my daughter, you might want to take each other's hands and come across that line. Or if you'd like Joni or myself to take your hand and agree with your prayer, 
without knowing it without knowing what your prayer is we will take your hand and we will step across that line with you and we'll say our amen to your prayer because there is power in cooperation there is power in agreement and we agree concerning your prayers okay so um Okay, so whenever you're ready, come up and stand this side of the line, and then either, so when all you're, all you're ready, come on up everyone that wants to, I'm expecting everyone wants to say some prayer to God. So take your position on that side of the line, and then we'll start stepping across the line in just a moment or two. So come on up and bring in your heart your desire or desires, what you have in your heart you want God to do for you or for people in your life or for situations in your life. You know, Solomon, when he built a house, he said, Lord, your house is going to be a great house of prayer. And God, when anyone turns towards your house, as we look up to heaven, when anyone turns towards your house, every person knows what's in their own heart. And hear their prayer, O God, and answer from heaven. If it's forgiveness, if it's some other need, Lord, everyone knows, or maybe knows in part, and they come to God with their prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So whenever you're ready, you make that deliberate step across the line or call myself.